This is People Every Day. Coming up, why Diana DeVay, one of JFK's alleged former mistresses, is breaking her decades-long silence. Plus, an HGTV star's tragic loss, remembering actor Ed Asner, and Andy Cohen's favorite new sex expert has some surprising advice. It's August 30th. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to People Every Day this here Monday. I'm your host, Janine Rubenstein. And well, guys, I've got to start off with some sad news coming out of Hollywood today. Seven-time Emmy Award-winning actor Ed Asner has died. He was a Hollywood veteran and beloved Mary Tyler Moore show star, who even kids would know for the sweet work he did as the voice of the grumpy old widower in Pixar's Oscar-winning 2009 movie Up. Well, I gotta help you cross something. Uh, no, I'm doing fine. Well, Asner died from natural causes over the weekend at his home in California. He was 91, and his family took to Twitter to share the news, ending their statement writing, quote, with a kiss on your forehead, good night, Dad, we love you. On another somber note, 35-year-old HGTV star Cameron Hamilton revealed on social media that her husband, Marcus, died in a motorcycle accident over the weekend. Hamilton, who won Design Star Next Gen earlier this year, wrote, I am no stranger to loss, but this loss brings something beyond pain, something I can't describe. The two share a son and were married for 10 years and planning to renew their vows soon. So heartbreaking. And condolences are pouring in for her and her family. Shifting over to what's top of mind for so many people right now, Hurricane Ida. It's been reduced to a tropical storm at this point, but not before it wreaked havoc on the Gulf states this weekend, including Louisiana, where one million people are still out of power and in cities like New Orleans forced to wade through waist-deep floodwaters. Claudette Jones was evacuated from her home in Gulfport, Mississippi. And here's what she told the AP about the uncertainty she faces now. I'm praying I can go back to a normal home like I left. That's what I'm praying for. But I'm not sure at this point. Outside of the destruction, something making headlines is Al Roker's on-the-ground coverage of the storm. After watching the veteran meteorologist get pummeled by strong winds while on the ground in New Orleans, some viewers took to social media to say that at age 67, Roker shouldn't be out in such extreme weather. To which he tweeted, screw you. (laughs) He literally tweeted that, you guys. He said, I volunteered to come out here. This is what I do. I've done this for 40 years. And one more big headline from the weekend. After numerous listening events, controversies, and even a wedding recreation with his estranged wife, Kanye West's new Donda album has finally made landfall. It is out, but turns out he still wasn't ready. He shared on Instagram that his label released it without his final sign-off. Apparently, he was still waiting for one song called Jail 2 that features the highly controversial rapper Baby to be cleared for inclusion. It didn't happen, and Ye is not happy about that. Fans, on the other hand, are busy listening to and weighing in on his latest work. All right, time to dig into this next story surrounding one Diana DeVay. She's one of JFK's alleged former mistresses who, after all these years, is opening up about their affair in the 60s. And joining me now to break this all down is People.com politics editor Adam Carlson. Hey, Adam. Hi, Janine. Happy Monday. What a fascinating and unexpected story to break down for you. 
wild, right? So so Diana wrote an essay published on Saturday in Airmail about their affair. It began in 1958, which means at the time JFK was twice her age. She said, quote, this is not a romantic story and that it took quote, years to recover from their romance. And it's almost as many years as it took her to share this story. So so let's go back to the beginning. How did it start? Yeah. So, you know, I say unexpected because unless you're a Kennedy obsessive like me, who's seen Diana's name mentioned in the margins of some books, you never would have expected her to come forward and, and share this story, her version of their relationship. And she's sharing it all the way from the very beginning. She sets a scene, a very dramatic kind of cinematic scene of meeting him in 1958 in Massachusetts at uh, an event for him amid his Senate re-election campaign and kind of being immediately dazzled by him. And this theme goes throughout the entire essay, this idea that he, as soon as he was near her, she gets sucked into his orbit and he's basically all she can think about. Wow. So she she says things started to change as he got more power, more political power, right? It was like at a business dinner before the election that Diana realized he saw her as, quote, generic. And she said, the man with whom I believed I was having a love affair did not want to connect certain dots. In fact, he wanted me to be as isolated as possible, alone on the vast sea of his attention. So so let's just paint the scene. She's young. She dropped out of school to be with him. And he was running for president. Like, can you imagine what she must have been feeling at this time? Yeah. And you can see kind of the self-awareness dawning in this essay in the decades after their relationship. She realizes that she wasn't a person in his view, at least as she remembers it. She was an object. She describes herself mm. as kind of like a doll on a shelf. You know, there's this high point when they first meet where he charms her at this event. In 1958, he says to another attendee at this dinner, you know, make way out of the chair for an old man to sit next to a pretty young woman. And he's charming her. And those charms dry up in in the coming years. She talks Mm. about living on a, a diet of scraps of his attention. He has other things on his mind. And she describes this, you know, he's often on the phone, on his campaigns, on his political work, and she's at the margins. He's not someone that seems to have, have spent a lot of time thinking about her as having another life. Wow. And and she said that it was the Me Too movement that gave her reason to kind of go back into her mental history and question all of this. She said it, quote, has provided a specific context for needed reevaluation. So I'm, is she me tooing him or or that's worded very, very gingerly, right? Right. Yeah. She What she's doing, at least it seems to me, is she's posing a lot of questions, a lot of messy, human specific questions, and she's not giving answers. You know, she's helping us understand how she processes herself. So so, you know, some of the questions she's posing in her essay are, does it always have to be abuse just because he was much older? But isn't it weird that he was so much older? Shouldn't he have realized how much more power he had than I did? Mm. Shouldn't he have realized that he was basically a movie star in my view and that I was going to kind of automatically adore him? Shouldn't he have understood that this wasn't mm. a sincere relationship? You know, she's kind of moving beyond simple definitions. Got it, got it. In other Kennedy news, mm-hmm. while I have you, over the weekend, Saran Bashar Saran, the man who murdered RFK, was granted parole. So according to the Associated Press, two of his sons, Douglas Kennedy and RFK Jr., mm-hmm. supported his release. So his other six children, however, are devastated by the news and released a statement. So so before I lose you, catch us up on what's going on here. 
Yeah, so it was a really surprising decision, and it could still be rejected and overturned. The parole board's mm. decision is subject to a review, and then the governor of California can uphold it or reject it. So it still remains to be seen a little bit what's going to happen to Sirhan. But he's been seeking parole for years. He's been in prison for 53 years. He's an old man now. You know, we talked to his attorney over the weekend. He has a lot of remorse. The parole board agreed he showed no threat to society at large. They were really proud of his rehabilitation. Um, he was really happy. But yeah, I mean, the Kennedy children, RFK's uh, eight children, they're split over this decision. You know, I was um, talking to RFK Jr. over the weekend, and he's someone who supported Sirhan getting out. He's in the minority there, though. Six of his siblings, including Carrie Kennedy, they're still devastated. This is a man who, they want to remind people, assassinated their father in public, wounded other people after a campaign event. I mean, it came in the 60s with all this turmoil, and they still miss and mourn their dad, and they say that that Sirhan should be held responsible for that. Wow. Adam, thank you so much for getting into all this with me today. Always a pleasure. Next up, Andy Cohen-approved sex expert Shan Boudram thinks you should call your ex. Stay tuned to hear why. All right, guys, I am back. And before I get into anything else, listen to this and try not to freak out. People these days will name their kids anything to get attention. Ah, you know that voice. Season three of You on Netflix is coming soon. That, of course, was the sound of Penn Badgley's obsessive, murderous, highly problematic character, Joe, in the new trailer. He's a dad now and no less psychotic. Joe is also, hands down, the worst ex-boyfriend anyone could ever have. Zero stars, do not recommend. But to that point, my guest now thinks that exes, at least the sane ones, can come in handy. So now it's time to talk about sex. <laughs> I've always wanted to say that. And while a lot of people are talking about sex, thanks to the new social experiment show on Peacock called X-Rated that explores the dating life of adult singles. Well, joining me now to get into what all the buzz is about is certified sexologist Shan Boudram, who says she's like Dr. Ruth meets Rihanna. And as she does on X-Rated, she teaches people how to be comfortable and confident in the dating scene and in the bedroom. She's here with me now to talk about that and so much more. Hi, Shan. Hello. Thank you. Beautiful introduction. I also love your radio voice when you said we're here to talk about sex. <laughs> I love it. So Andy Cohen is at it again with a new series, this time called X-Rated, that takes a fresh approach into the lives of single people. So tell us what we can expect from the show and the role you have on it. So essentially what happens is somebody comes and says, look, I'm single. I keep bumping up against a brick wall when it comes to my dating life. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Help. And so the producers of the show issue out a 21 question survey to up to 10 of their exes. And that's so crucial because I've actually done this practice before years prior. And I asked people to go back to one X or two X. And what I found is that it's very easy to rationalize somebody's negative feedback when it's just one person, right? Yeah. Like, well, that's because it was back then. That's because they were this, or that's because blah, blah, blah. But when you've got 10 people all saying the same thing, Ooh, it's yeah. really difficult not just to look this in the face and say, this is something I could work on. And that's what the goal of the show is, is to put people in a position where they clearly know what steps to take next in order to improve their intimate fate. 
Nice, nice. So in your book, The Game of Desire, in which you give the secrets of dating with dominance and getting what you mm-hmm. want, uh, what is one of those secrets and, and how does someone apply it in their dating life now? Fascinatingly enough, one of the secrets was to go back to an ex and to interview them, which is why I ended up with this gig in the first place. But it is to be able to prioritize your growth over your ego. It's getting to a place where nothing else matters to you other than being as good as you possibly can at love, at seducing, at being attractive, Mm -hmm. um, at being a connector. And these are often things that we don't think about as hard skills. We think about them as things you either are good at or you aren't. So you do still, again, you can have these fundamental skills that you can apply, but you have to always leave space for curiosity and creativity. So for newbies to the digital dating scene and the new digital dating scene, because so much has changed, um, how does one successfully navigate online dating? Like, What's your go-to steps for someone who says, okay, girl, I think I'm going to try the apps? I think first and foremost, you have to really know what you're looking for. So the more that you're clear on what you need, I often say that people are really focused when it comes to dating on who they're going to get. But I think it's more important to be focused on who you're going to be in reflection of somebody else. So I think Mm. less about tall, dark, and handsome. I think more about me feeling confident, smart, and spontaneous. And what Mm. kind of person is going to allow me to be the best version of myself because that's going to ultimately dictate the best relationship. There's actually a really great article that came out recently that talked about how niche apps are completely revitalizing the dating landscape. And now there's over 400 dating apps out there. So if you are on Tinder and you're frustrated with what's happening, try an app that specializes in people who love jam and cheese that's shaped like Star Wars characters. And there's an (laughs) app that's out there for that. And that's going to give you a higher (laughs) likelihood of finding somebody again, that you're going to be the best version of yourself around. Okay, so we're talking sex. I have to go there. I have so many friends who are single who say like, oh, I met this guy. He's pretty great on this app. And then sends me a NSFW picture. How do you navigate that when you thought the guy was cool or or you even liked him a little bit and then it it jumps ahead like 10 steps really quickly. I mean, sometimes it's an education because people genuinely don't know that that's not the next natural step or they don't know that that's not what you wanted. So it's helpful if you have the emotional bandwidth to do so, to communicate to somebody like, this was out of the blue. This isn't what I was looking for. Hey, I wasn't trying to go there with you yet. Or I'm not comfortable receiving these kind of images. You Mm. also help the next person who matches with them also not get a NSFW picture out of the blue, which, you know, can be jarring for people. So if you can do that, great. But on the flip side, you're not responsible for educating another adult. You're not making anybody be responsible for that. If you don't want to take it on, then just unmatch and keep going. For sure. And then lastly, for those who aren't out there looking and they have settled down but want to spice things up, is there just a quick go-to, try it tonight, you guys? Like, just just do it. Just throw it out there. What, What would be that piece of advice? Have sex at the foot of the bed. Like, it's just the little stuff. I think oftentimes people think about spicing up in the bedroom and they're like, I got to plan a trip to Cancun. When we get out there, we've got to hire. No, you don't. Like, it's the brain doesn't actually need a lot. Mm. I think people overthink spicing it up. It's those little small adjustments, adding music. In my bedroom, I have lighting that's controlled by my phone. So changing it to a red light, you know, opening the the window so maybe your your neighbors can hear, can add a level of excitement (laughs) because now there's a bit of exhibitionism in that. So the small little things that are within your control right now can make a massive difference.
That was sex and relationships expert Shan Boudram. For more on her and Andy Cohen's new Peacock show, X-Rated, head over to people.com. And now, something to make you smile. A college student is putting the pedal to the metal for a great cause. 20-year-old Aidan Connolly is a junior at Iona College in New Rochelle, New York, and he is working to raise money in support of people with disabilities. In addition to his econ and business administration studies, he organized 100 of his Pi Kappa Pi frat brothers for a 3,700-mile adventure from San Francisco to Washington, D.C. for the Journey of Hope ride over the summer. That's bike riding, 3,700 miles. In the end, he helped raise a grand total of $500,000. Here's what Aiden told News 12 about why he was inspired to make the big trip. I wanted to do something bigger than bigger than me, you know, test my my limits and my strength and my spirit. It truly is uh, giving back. Good on you and your brothers, Aiden. This is the type of frat story I love to tell. All right. Talk to you all tomorrow. Tomorrow. 